You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage into gold. Welcome back into another episode of Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast. My name is Brandon Apter. I'm one of your hosts, joined as always by my co-host, Jesse Larch. Jesse, how are you? I'm battling a bit of a cold, but the Sixers are 4-0, and and we got plenty of entertainment with that game last night, so I really can't complain a whole lot. Yeah, not at all. 4-0 and indeed for the first time since the 2000-2001 season. That year, we all know what happened. They went to the finals, unfortunately lost, but they started that year 10-0. So if history repeats itself even a little bit, they're on track to do really, really special things here. Even though through the first four games for these Sixers, it's been a little sloppier than we've liked. Um, Before we jump into things, just quickly, we want to thank Philadelphia Sports Nation for presenting this podcast Make sure that you visit them online at phlsportsnation.com. They are enhancing the fan experience in Philadelphia, covering all of the teams, Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, and Phillies. Just hired Joe Girardi and a new pitching coach, so there's a lot going on there. Flyers season and Eagles, obviously, uh, trying to fight back to get into the division, so we thank them a lot. Uh, you can also follow our podcast on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold and find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Now that we've gotten through that, why don't we just jump right into Wednesday night's game, which was a route in favor of the Sixers going up against the Timberwolves. A lot of storylines going into this game, even more coming out of it going into it. It seemed to be a very loud discussion on social media with Sixers fans comparing Robert Covington to Matisse Thibel. Uh, if this game was any indication as to who has the upper hand so far, it's probably Thibel. He looked really good. And Covington, uh, aside from a standing ovation, had a pretty anticlimactic return to Philadelphia, scoring seven points on two for seven shooting, one for four from beyond. Uh, Jesse, I know you're a Covington guy. Was it good to see him back in Philly? And what did you make of his return? I, we, we, we know the mental uh, things that he went through and the mental hoops that he had to go through uh, after his injury. So back on the court and finally healthy. Yeah, I mean, I love Robert Covington. I was sad to see him go, although it brought a, you know, a Sixers, gave the Sixers a better chance to contend for the title last year. But seeing him back was great. I mean, I would take him back on this team in a heartbeat if they could make it work somehow. Um, a real heart and soul player, a guy that really embraced his role, really put the work in and got rewarded for it, which is really something that everybody wants to see happen in sports. Yeah, he had a poor game. I mean, really, the entire Timberwolves team had a poor game. The Sixers defense 
is I, you'd be hard pressed to find a better defensive team in the league right now and they proved it tenfold against minnesota last night yeah pretty suffocating with regard to minnesota with philadelphia's defense on minnesota's offense and we'll get to that but the big story coming out of the sixers wolves matchup was the tussle between joel Embiid and carl anthony towns which also involved ben simmons um, so Sixers were up pretty handedly and Joel Embiid was bully balling Carl Anthony Towns pretty much all night as he has in pretty much all of the previous matchups now four and one against Cat in his career as a Philadelphia 76er. So Embiid hit a mid range shot over Towns after bullying him in the post a little bit and then on the ensuing offensive possession for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Towns got the ball in the high post and got double teamed by Embiid, and I believe it was Simmons, and um, coughed the ball up, but him and Embiid started tussling a little bit, and whether there were punches thrown still can't really be seen in the footage, but things got ugly really quickly. Carl Anthony Towns went down to the ground. Joel Embiid uh, seemed to have poked Carl Anthony Towns in the eye, and Ben Simmons put a uh, chokehold on Carl Anthony Towns to to try and calm him down, play a peacemaker. At least that's what it's being made out to be. Um, we we got to see a lot of camera angles as to what exactly went down here, but I've heard two sides of the story. There are some people on the Minnesota side that think that Embiid is is a little immature for for doing stuff like this, and that Towns had gotten into his head. I actually saw that on Twitter at some point, but. Um, Embiid clearly dominated previous matchups with Carl Anthony Towns, and there there had been some some a little bit of a rivalry leading into this. So, Jesse, from what you saw, who who do you think instigated this, and what do you think will come of this? As of this recording, we don't know if there will be any suspensions or fines. But what was your takeaway on the whole? Uh, fight night at Wells Fargo Center. I'd be surprised if Embiid and Towns both don't receive suspensions. How long they'll be, I don't know. Um, if they vary, I would expect Towns to have the longer suspension because I think he did clearly throw a punch. Um, I mean, did Embiid make matters better? No, he was definitely egging it on. And, you know, when you get into a scrap and then you go around and pump up the crowd and start shadow boxing. You really don't look too sorry if you're watching this happen, so the league might have a problem with that. As far as this whole Simmons thing is concerned, I think Simmons was trying to break things up and get things under control. Um, I actually tweeted earlier today that for, for the Minnesota side to say Simmons wasn't being a peacemaker as the refs indicated and that Simmons was trying to choke out Carl Anthony Towns, all I have to say to that is when you have you know, a five foot ten, five foot nine, fifty-five plus year old referee on the court and two guys who are seven foot three hundred pounds start battling with each other. What is that ref supposed to do? You need the players that are Ben Simmons' size to go in there and kind of separate things. You know, if he went in there and tried to start throwing punches and fighting other players, that'd be a whole nother thing. But Simmons was more trying to separate them and I mean you have to get a seven-footer under control. So Ben Simmons did what he had to do to do that. I don't think he was trying to hurt Carl Anthony Towns. I think it was just a case of a lot of large people in the same place, and that was kind of the only way to make things get under control. 
Yeah, I I think there are a lot of different ways to view it. I I agree with you there. Simmons talked to the media following practice on Thursday prior to heading out on their four-game road trip, which we'll talk about, more or less saying that he has his teammates back. He and Carl Anthony Towns have a little bit of a history. They're friends. So uh, Simmons said that he was just trying to have his teammates back and more or less make sure that that Towns didn't do anything else. And that's really what it looked like. So it'll be up to the NBA really to make the determination on that. But I, like you said, I would be very surprised if there were no suspensions given out. Um, I think Embiid and Towns will both be suspended two games. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Simmons gets uh, Simmons gets fined because I don't think he would necessarily get a suspension based on what we saw and what we've heard. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where he was involved in it. And to the outside viewer, it might look like it was a little worse than it really was. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was hit with a $25,000 fine for, for his part in the matter. But I think it would be a little much for him to get fined by everything. The, the other side of this is the social media fallout of everything. Prior to the season, Joel Embiid sat down with ESPN's Rachel Nichols and, and said that he was going to try to stay away from the trash talk and the immaturity that we may have seen from him in, in previous years and through three games or two games since he missed one. We you really saw a more mature, a more together Joel Embiid, but this battle with Carl Anthony Towns really brought something else out of him. Took to social media afterwards, tagged Jimmy Butler about uh, being one of the third stringers with a call back to Jimmy Butler's uh, pra- practice saying you and need me with Minnesota before he was traded to Philadelphia. Uh, and then really even mentioning Carl Anthony Towns mom on Twitter. Uh, if you go back and watch the video of Embiid shadow boxing prior to going into the locker rooms, you can see uh, a woman wearing a 32 Timberwolves Jersey giving to uh, Embiid the finger. And that was Carl Anthony Towns mom. So the social media fallout was that and, Towns responded by posting something on Twitter saying that Embiid was a clown and he posted a picture of Embiid crying after the playoff loss and Embiid of course responded with that saying hey you shouldn't do that you haven't even been to the playoffs so I know for me personally I thought a little of the social media like it was funny don't get me wrong but I feel like some of it was a little over the top and something that's really not necessary for somebody that is going to lead your team. You can look at it as something to spark your team, but I, I, I'm on the side of I, I liked it, but take the high road, be professional about it. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on it. I mean, I think you're there to compete and you're there to get any edge that you can. I love it. I mean, especially that MB drew that out of another play. You kind of, if there's any league where you still see things like that, I would say it's the NBA, but you're kind of missing that in modern sports where players genuinely dislike each other. And there's actual disdain and they actually confront each other outside of the arena. Um, Things like that. I mean, that sells tickets and that drives interest up and, you know, the league can't publicly condone it, but it's almost the same kind of thing with uh, when Khabib fought Conor McGregor. And after the fight, Khabib goes jumping into the crowd after Conor's team and coaches. Dana White couldn't sit there and say that he loved that and he just saw dollar signs. You know, he had to he had to say that he can't condone that type of action. 
But on the inside, he's doing backflips knowing how much money that's going to make his company. And I think it's the same kind of thing where the next time the Sixers play the Timberwolves, it probably gets flexed to a TNT or an ESPN slot because now people want to see Embiid versus Towns again and they want to see what happens. Now that interest level just went up. And I think that's good for business. It's good for fan interest. You know, you saw how raucous Wells Fargo Center got, which it's always a great environment down there. But especially then when that type of thing happens, the roof comes off. And you saw that happen. You saw the whole team get energized. I think it makes for a much better product. And at the end of the day, pro sports is entertainment. And you can't say it wasn't entertaining watching that brawl and watching all the fallout from it afterwards. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed it in the moment. I especially enjoyed the moment that Joel Embiid shared with Mike Scott following the the little tussle. He was the first one to greet him as Embiid went to the bench. And uh, after the game, Scott talked about how much that he loved it and Joel's uh, the team's leader, the team's all-star. So you can tell that that players had Joel's back. So I, I was a big fan of it. Again, I, I thought the social media stuff could have been handled a, a little bit better. But um, I'm not sure if the NBA is going to really dip its feet into um, disciplining him for for that part of things. But it will be interesting to see how many games each people get, because in the past there have been guys that have thrown punches in fights and brawls and that haven't thrown punches in fights and brawls and not all of the punishments have matched up to to previous instances. So hopefully if Embiid is suspended for a couple of games, he can rest up. It's a good thing that the Sixers have Al Horford. Hopefully Ben Simmons is not suspended because if you're out with, with one of those two or both of those guys going into this four-game road trip against pretty good teams, it's not going to be great chances to start the season five or six and oh. But moving on from that uh, tussle to the Sixers defense, which was absolutely phenomenal, heading into this game, Minnesota had 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 a really nice free-flowing offense, ball moving around a lot, and, and that really did not show itself at all uh, in, in this route of a loss to the Sixers. And the size was just too much, really. Uh, Andrew Wiggins and Jeff Teague and Carl Anthony Towns and the other guys that they have in their lineup just weren't big enough for all of the guys that the Sixers have at their disposal. So uh, what did you see that maybe you had not seen in previous games from the Sixers defense against the Timberwolves? It's nothing I haven't seen through the first four, because I think in all four games, aside from maybe Detroit, you've seen that Sixers defense put the clamps on the opponent at one point where there's nothing the opponent can do. And the starting five hasn't happened, but even when the bench comes out, James Ennis has been a very willing defender. Matisse Thibel, I mean, forget the word rookie. Like, he might be an all-NBA defensive team player this year. He is playing that good on defense. It's it's truly incredible. Yeah, him and Ben Simmons lead the league early early on in steals. They're one, two in steals. Even with like just watching Thibel rotate through his plays when there's you know, to try to set him on screens and picks and things like that. He never loses his guy, which even Robert Covington, who like we already addressed, I love Robert Covington. I love what he brought to the Sixers when he was a Sixer, but he was not as fast as Matisse Thibel is getting through screens and sticking with his man. Matisse Thibel is as legit of a defender 
as there is in the league right now. And he's only four games into his NBA career. I mean, it's really incredible. Um, I know we talked on the podcast with Justin Quinn. You mentioned how going forward, you really want to see the Sixers start hitting on those picks later in the draft. Matisse Thibel seems like a home run right now for Elton Brand. Most definitely. And he's looked great. And I think his shooting is starting to come along too. You can tell even through his fourth game against the Timberwolves, there's not as much hesitation as you may have seen in the previous three. I think he's showing a little bit more of a quick release, uh, hit a couple of three pointers. I think he was two for four or two for five against the T-Wolves. Um, so if he can match that up with the defense that he already provides, he's going to be an extremely important player for them this season and going into the playoffs. Very different situation than last year when you had guys that were more or less unplayable off the bench. So it's good to see young guys stepping up. We did also see Furkan Korkmaz have the best game that he's had in quite some time, hit three three-pointers. He was three of eight, which on the stat sheet doesn't look great, but it's a 375 percentage. So if he goes out there and does that and shoots 35 36% from three, that will also put them in a really good place when it comes to perimeter shooting off the bench. Um, any anything else from the T-Wolves game before we move on, Jesse? Well, with Furcon, I mean, he did play much better the other three games, though. I think he's been really poor. Um, I mean, I know I'm not I sold. You're not the biggest Furcon <laughs> fan. I there was as always. I try to be an optimist, but I don't see him sticking unless he becomes like a lights out Bellinelli type shooter. But even Bellinelli offered more than Furcon does. Furcon isn't that great coming around on screens or the dribble handoffs or anything like that. He's he's just not decisive enough. Like if he if he comes off the dribble handoff and can have a quick release on the shot, that's one thing whether it goes in or not. But it seems like he just doesn't know what he wants to do that quick decision making even though he has nba experience now just is not there and even then even when he does shoot the ball he's too streaky he's not the kind of guy that you can count on to hit his threes in bunches you know he isn't going to string together like four or five makes in a row like you may have seen a reddick do or even bellinelli like i just said I think there's a long way to go for cork maz i mean the team could really benefit if he works out but I don't know. I'm I'm okay with the other style of play they have right now, which is defense first and then just running a half court offense, getting points in the paint and building leads that way. It's it's working so far and I think it's working really well. Yeah. Uh the only other thing I had before we move on is through four games, just a couple of things that I noticed about Ben Simmons. We saw him really come out and be aggressive in game one. In games two, three, and four offensively I feel like he's been a lot more what he's been um, or what we saw him last year which is fine for now but you hope to see a little bit of development when it comes to his offensive games I don't need to see threes I don't need to see seven jumpers a game or anything like that but I'm not seeing any sort of evolution in his offensive game and he's had a little bit of trouble finishing his defense has been great I know there was one sequence in the game against the Timberwolves where he was defending Carl Anthony Towns and it was just an absolutely tremendous defensive stand against Cat but on the offensive side of things to this point I'm not really seeing what I need to see from Ben yeah and I believe last year Ben Simmons entered the elite defender category he didn't really get that kind of recognition but I would place it on him with easy confidence 
I think he proved that. He took on some of the league's best, like Russell Westbrook, and totally shut them down. And then he has the ability to guard bigs, too. So in that sense, he's got to be one of the best defenders in the league just for his versatility alone. And then add on how adept he is as a defender. It makes a huge difference for this team. And part of the problem with Ben hitting that three in the preseason game and all the videos that came out of him shooting threes in warm-ups and in practice is everyone just salivating for it right now, and we haven't seen it. I think part of it with Ben playing just like last year is Ben's never intended to be the guy scoring the points. I think this offense is built to get Tobias Harris the ball in space. I think it's built to get Joel Embiid the ball in the block. And then Ben Simmons becomes option three or four. That's what we're seeing right now. It's more the same offense we've had the last few years than it is that Ben isn't necessarily being aggressive. And I don't think he's had to be aggressive yet because the teams, aside from really half of Detroit and the Atlanta game, the team's been very comfortable so far this year. Yeah, and speaking about the Atlanta game, you talked to one of the reporters for The Athletic heading into that game, and the Hawks are one of those teams that gave the Sixers fits last season, even when they had Jimmy Butler, and it seemed to to be a little bit of the same when they went down to Atlanta to play them on, on Monday night, and really, just early on in the season, the Sixers have played two home games, two away games, and the road games have looked much worse than the home games Uh, so they've gotten down by big deficits in both Detroit and Atlanta able to fight back in games where you would say that they would lose a hundred percent of the time last year or the year before that so looking at their first two road games as they head on a four game road trip any concerns that you have uh, from their efforts in Detroit and most recently Atlanta against the Hawks it just seems like they're getting off to slow starts on the road the same type of that atmosphere isn't there Wells Fargo Center you know the NBA there might not be too many legitimate home court advantages the Wells Fargo Center has turned into a real home court advantage You see how lively it gets in there, how much the players feed off of it. And when you go outside of that building, it's got to be totally foreign to this team to not have people going nuts like that, even for the opposition. Because, like, you know, fans in Detroit or in Atlanta, maybe Atlanta. Atlanta has a pretty good basketball following. But Detroit, like, that following isn't as strong. So even when the Pistons play well, it's not that same kind of feeling. And it might just might just drain the energy level of the Sixers. It's no good excuse. With how talented this team is, they should still be going on the road and beating down teams. Granted, I think Atlanta is going to be a lot better than people give them credit for. But you want to see this team go out, especially on this road trip coming up, and win some games decisively and really prove that they are the team to beat in the East, which so far they look like it. Yeah, and one of the things that is good to see is that in these games against Detroit and Atlanta, even though they have fallen behind by pretty big deficits, they're able to fight back and and finish at the end. And again, that's one thing that we have not been able to see them do in previous years. I think that Atlanta Hawks game is a game that they lose 100% of the time. Like watching that game, I had zero zero faith that they were going to be able to pull that out. But somehow they did, and they found Joel Embiid in the final play to get that um, basket and a foul and really put things out of reach prior to Vince Carter dinging it off the, the rim for the final shot. But I think these, not only the road games, but the four games in general have, have magnified a weakness that I talked about prior to the season beginning, and that's really the lack of perimeter threats 
you want Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson to be able to do that, but they have not been able to do it consistently to this point. I'm not too concerned about that, but what I'd like to see is Josh Richardson be removed from the backup point guard job, have somebody like Howell Neto shift into that job and put a Josh Richardson off the ball so he can create his own space, come off screens and become a scorer like that. And Tobias Harris, I think his his points will come. He had a he had a pretty solid game against the Timberwolves. It didn't blow anybody away, but he almost had 20 points, shot really well from the field. So we just need more consistent efforts from there. But when it comes to the perimeter threats, what have you seen so far through the first four games and how can they address that with the current group that they have? I've seen very little. Um, Tobias Harris, I mean, the perception is that he's struggling. His stat lines are still coming up good at the end of the games. But watching the game, it feels like he never hits the the momentum shot. You know, when he when the team's in transition, they get a stop, they go for a quick bucket on the other end. He doesn't hit that three. That would really get the team on a different level and really get their confidence level up. Um, I think it was a big, big blow that I wouldn't have thought would have been a big blow a week ago when Shake Milton hyperextended his knee because he came in and he was really pouring in points off the bench. And I don't think anyone expected him to do that, but kudos to Brett Brown for putting him in the games because, I mean, he kind of helped them in those games he did appear. And then just like that, they lose that source of points off the bench and they're back to the Corkmaz problem where he's overexposed on defense and isn't versatile enough on offense. So you're kind of stuck relying on James Ennis, Mike Scott, and Tobias Harris to really hit their shots. And if they're cold, you're in a lot of trouble. Fortunately, they have three elite post presences, so they can kind of get points at will on the inside. But there's going to come a time, at least I would expect there to, this defense might be so good that it might not matter. But I would expect there comes a time when a team comes in, shoots really hot from three, and the Sixers just can't keep up with their cert with their current play style. Yeah, and I think that that's what we've heard and that's what we've seen really that this is a team that's going to get some sloppy wins. It's not it might not be pretty, but defend defensive games are going to be their specialty and you hope that Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, James Ennis, and Mike Scott are able to to hit those momentum shots, especially Harris, because I feel like every time in close games over the first four games where he had an opportunity to really um, put them in the driver's seat, aside from the Detroit game, which he was really good at, he kind of clanked it off the rim and, and it really didn't even look close. And I think he's had some issues when it comes to that quick decision making. And it's a different role for him that he had last year with the Sixers, so maybe he's still adjusting a little bit to that. But I think for him, he needs to get more comfortable in his own shoes and his role with the Sixers as an offensive producer. And like I said, with Korkmaz, obviously not the same players, even in the same level. But I think Harris has struggled due to um, hesitation and not making quick enough decisions. And on the ones that he is making quick enough decisions, even on wide open threes, he's not hitting them. So we need to see better quick decision making and him being able to convert on those opportunities because they have so many guys that can work in the post that him driving into the lane and getting a five to eight footer is not not what you want from him. You want something else. And, and you hope Josh Richardson can build off that as well, because he's a guy that can shoot 35, 36, 37 percent from three point land, too. But it's going to be interesting to see moving forward through this four game trip. And as this team progresses through the season to see where they get that per- perimeter shooting, whether for Furkan Korkmaz uh, evolves 
probably not going to happen. Shake Milton comes back and becomes a regular staple in the rotation um, or something like that. But it's definitely something that they're going to need to address, whether it's through an internal solution or prior to the trade deadline. I think they're definitely going to need to pick up some sort of perimeter shooting. Yeah, and one player we didn't mention was Trey Burke, who kind of inexplicably hasn't really gotten a chance to have a run in the rotation yet. And you talk about points off the bench, that's kind of been his specialty, um, the definition of a microwave scorer. He really heats up quick, pours in points in a bunch, and then goes back out of the game. I'm kind of surprised, I'm very surprised actually, that Cork Maz got the minutes over him. And then I'm surprised on top of that, that we haven't really seen him at all, even after that, you know, that Shake Milton got a chance before Trey Burke. So I'm really, really curious as to what went into that, because I think everyone at least maybe not casual fans, but most fans understand who Trey Burke is as a player. And for him to not really be getting a chance in this rotation, that's the most puzzling thing because he might be able to solve those problems that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that one. Any, anything on the Hawks game before we move on to the four game trip? No, just that. I mean, I think that Hawks team is going to be one to watch. They might sneak into a bottom seed in the East this year. I think they have a real chance to do that. For sure. So looking ahead, the Sixers, we talked a little bit about their road woes so far. They head to an early season four-game trip out west with stops in Portland against the Trailblazers, Phoenix against the Suns, Utah against the Jazz, and Denver against the Nuggets before returning home. We're going to just start right off in Portland, and, and we know as of this recording that we're not exactly sure what sort of suspensions are going to be hung out for Joel Embiid or, or Ben Simmons or anything. But either way, these these four games are going to be a test for the Sixers. You know, when they face the Celtics on opening night, the Celtics didn't really know who they were. The Pistons are a team that they should have beaten handedly. Uh, the Hawks as well. And then we just see, saw them do what they can against the Timberwolves. But these teams out West are all teams that uh, are going to show them a little bit something different that they have not seen to this point. So let's start in Portland on Saturday, November the 2nd, 10 p.m. start and get to watch some late night Sixers basketball. I'm pretty excited for that. Hopefully everybody has left my Halloween party by then. But uh, we, we talk about so many times that the Sixers have the biggest team in the NBA. Their starters, Embiid, Horford, Harris, Richardson, and Simmons uh, suffocate other teams and really tire them out. So against the Trailblazers, you have combo guards like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, who are going to give them a little bit of a different look at points during the Timberwolves game. I thought Jeff Teague looked like he could car carve his way through the Sixers defense a little bit. He wasn't great, but he found some holes and that's definitely something that a Lillard or McCollum could do in addition to shooting the three. So looking at the matchups, whether or not Embiid plays, how do you think that the Sixers big lineup will match up against a team that is armed with guys like Lillard and CJ? I think we've seen a couple teams try to go small to counter the Sixers length so far or to counter the Sixers size with speed. And that's really all Portland has to offer. Um, I don't think they're, they really know how to play any other way than the play through McCollum and Lillard. I think the Sixers have done better than expected so far handling small lineups part of it's that versatility where ben's athletic enough to cover a two or a three and then 
Josh Richardson is the thing I love about Josh Richardson is how happy he is, how excited he gets to take on the other team's best player. He relishes that opportunity and that responsibility. So I think you throw him on a Damian Lillard, you can have either Harris or Ben cover CJ and then really take away their two most important players that way. Because even even if MB doesn't play, I think Horford would have no problem with Whiteside on the inside, at least on offense. Um, so in that sense, I'm the Portland game doesn't worry me too much. I mean, Dame Lillard's one of those guys who kind of scores it well. You almost have to let him get his points anyway just to live with that because he's going to score. But overall, I've been impressed with how Sixers the Sixers have handled small lineups so far this year. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that the Trailblazers also have a couple of holes on their team uh, due to injury. They are still dealing with the loss of um, Nurkic, their center, and Zach Collins is also out for them. So to this point in the season, they've had to put guys like Rodney Hood and Kent Bazemore, guys that are natural shooting guards at the small forward position. And I know that we're in a world now, especially in the Sixers, where it's positionless basketball. They're so big, but I think if anything, it's going to be even more difficult for Portland to try to take advantage of the Sixers big lineup when you have such small guys playing at the three, really, when you have Tobias Harris covering a Rodney Hood or or Kent Bazemore. I think it's an easy advantage toward the Sixers. And like you said before, if Horford is covering Whiteside, I'm not too worried about that. Hopefully we'll get to see Embiid versus Whiteside because that's a similar rivalry to the Carl Anthony Towns previously on social media. But um, yeah, I, I think the matchup, aside from Lillard and McCollum, the shooting and the perimeter shooting really favors the Sixers because of their size advantage, really. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. So uh, looking looking at that game, whether or not they have MB, do you think that they start this road trip off with a win or a loss? I'm confident they can go in there and beat um they can beat Portland because even if Embiid's out, then you figure Thibault slots into the starting lineup who probably contains McCollum or contains Lillard better than if you had to put Ben on one of the smaller guys. So I think defensively, the Sixers will be okay in Portland and be able to get the win there. Yeah, I, I agree with you as well. As long as they're able to limit the scoring of, of Lillard and McCollum, especially Lillard, I think if you let him get his, but don't let anybody else get theirs, you'll be in a pretty good spot as long as the defense is what we've seen in the past. Uh, so yeah, I think they start this one off with a win as well. After Portland on Monday, the 4th of November at 9 p.m., they travel to Phoenix to Jesse's Western Conference favorite team not to win the west but your favorite team in the western conference the phoenix suns armed with guys like devin booker uh, and one of my favorite former sixers dario Saric. so we get to see dario and former sixers assistant coach monty williams face the sixers and we've seen brett brown's coaching tree go a little bit here we've seen him face lloyd pierce a couple of times and we've seen some of brett's system from the early years in the process be put into the hawks offense and really the process that they are going through so when it comes to a team like the suns they were not viewed as a team that would really have a chance to make the playoffs in the west but now with the warriors sliding especially with steph curry out until maybe the all-star break with a broken hand they really have a chance to make some noise in the western conference and with guys like devin booker 
Uh, even though DeAndre Ayton is out because of a suspension, they have pretty solid depth and are getting good production from Aaron Baines, the former Celtics big man as well. So what do you see in terms of how the Sixers match up with uh, the, the Phoenix Suns on Monday? What I usually do when Sixers games end is try to find a Suns game to watch. And what I've seen from them so far this year is a team that loves to play defense, which was definitely not the Suns MO the last few years. Aaron Baines obviously is a guy who is a defensive specialist. Um, I mean, Ricky Rubio might not be a great defender, but he tries. He's a guy that will go and give you 100%. They have Javon Carter coming off of the bench, a West Virginia alum who, at West Virginia, if you never watched that team system play, it's full court press from start to finish, and he brings that mentality with him. Picture a more aggressive TJ McConnell, if that's possible. That is Javon Carter, and he has been a real difference maker, especially in the game where the Suns upset the L.A. Clippers, which kind of turned people on their head a little bit because nobody would give the Suns a chance against Kawhi and the Clippers, but the Suns put on a defensive clinic that night, and if they come out with that kind of energy to try to make a statement like they did against the Clippers, to make a statement against another one of the league's next teams— they might be able to catch the Sixers sleeping if the Sixers overlook them. Yeah, and I, I like the Sun teams, uh, Sun teams as well. The Suns team uh, as well. We all know that Devin Booker has had a really, really good track record against the Sixers in eight games, averaging twenty-seven points on forty-four point one. Uh, percent field goal and shooting nearly 45 percent from beyond the arc so i think it'll be very similar to the portland game and that if they are able to limit him i think uh they'll, they'll be good or or it's also one of those situations too where if the sixers are at full strength and have their entire lineup that they could let devin booker get his and really just make sure that uh they lock all windows and doors on all other ends obviously you want to do a good defensive job against him and I think Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson would probably share the um, responsibility of defending him in the starting lineup. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Thibel on him as well. Brett Brown has not been shy to throw that rookie out there against some of the opposition's best players. Yeah, and he shouldn't be. Like I said earlier in this episode, Thibel's going to have a legitimate case for all NBA defensive team. He's playing that good. And Brett even commented on it that it's like, it's like nothing. It's such a weapon for him. He's mentioned it that he's deploying it that way. That when he needs someone to be stopped, he's turning to the rookie to go out there and stop them. And so far, he's done it. Yeah. So even though I, I like how the Suns look, you, you're a big supporter of them. I do see either either way. I think the Sixers come out of this game with a win. I mean, they certainly should, but I don't want to. I think that's the team, much like the Hawks, that everyone's going to overlook and kind of get caught by. The Clippers already got mm -hmm. caught by them. So maybe that wakes the Sixers up and tells them, hey, let's pay attention to this team. But if they come in trying to like big time the Suns because the Suns haven't been very good in the last few years, they can get upset, I think. The third game of their four game road trip uh, brings them to Utah against the Jazz on November 6th at 9 p.m. Biggest story out of the Jazz is really they look like a much improved defensive team they were already pretty solid defensively especially with rudy gobert another year under the belt for donovan mitchell and they now have mike conley running things instead of ricky rubio and they picked up boyan bogdanovich in the offseason so donovan mitchell doesn't have the entire scoring load on him and it really the jazz team are are one of the teams that isn't going to surprise too many people because i think a lot of people find them or will put them in the top three or four even in the western conference when it comes to the playoff picture so i i like what i've seen from them so far i think they have solid depth with joe ingles as well but i think that reworks starting lineups especially with bogdanovich 
taking some of that scoring pressure off of Mitchell really makes them a little more well-balanced than they are in the past. So I think this one's going to be a, a really close one, a good, another good center battle, uh, seeing that Joel Embiid is not suspended for three games, which seems pretty unlikely. Uh, but I'm excited to see Gobert going up, up against him. Uh, and I'm not really sure who would win this game because I think it could really go either way with two new look teams. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the Jazz? I mean, I don't mean to be that guy who hates on the Jazz because it feels like it's the Sixers fan thing to do after the Donovan Mitchell Ben Simmons rookie race, but I can't help but feel like the Jazz are much ado about nothing. I don't take them as a serious contender out west. I think as they've improved on the perimeter, they've kind of lost a bit inside, and now Rudy Gobert's on a bit of an island, and he's not the best interior scorer. So really, they get no points in the paint now, and they live and die by the perimeter, which we've seen so far, the Sixers have no problem getting out on the perimeter and making life difficult. So if that's what the Jazz want to do, they might be signing their own death wish that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. And the final game on the four-game road trip is Friday, November the 8th at 9 p.m. against the Denver Nuggets. The obvious highlights of that will be Embiid versus Nikola Jokic. Prior to the season, I think it was ESPN that released no it was uh, nba.com that released their general manager survey and they voted Jokic as the best center and Embiid was pretty far behind and second um, with maybe a tenth of the vote so Jokic we know is a guy that prides himself on defense but is also a very skilled playmaker on offense. That's one of the things Joel Embiid can do a lot. Very good defender, but one of the things that he struggled with still is passing out of double teams, finding his teammates in those situations, and even holding the ball too long in the post. So I think this one will be a big test for them as well because Denver is one of those teams out West that could find themselves in the top two or three uh, outside of the the Clippers in when it comes to the playoff picture. And it, even though that they are struggling to get steady play at the small forward position to this point in the season, I think that they are going to be an interesting matchup for the Sixers. Um, your thoughts on, on the Nuggets, Jesse? I like the way they play. I, they're very system-based team and they've been that way for a few years now and it's really instilled itself in a way where the nuggets are consistently at the top of the western conference but i mean maybe i'm being overconfident um especially if mb ends up not getting suspended i think the Sixers can sweep this road trip and i think the denver game really might be a bloodbath kind of how the minnesota game was just the way the teams match up, you know, if a team wants to be big man dominant, if they want to try to play through Towns or Jokic, it didn't work well for Minnesota. We saw Embiid go in there and really kind of make it his mission to ruin that night. I mean, a little more physically than we might have imagined. But especially knowing that the GMs voted Jokic over Embiid, I think Embiid will want to get a piece of Jokic and want to prove he's the better one which a determined Joel Embiid is a scary thing to think of. I don't think Jamal Murray can really test Ben Simmons on either end of the court. And you mentioned the small forward issue. I mean, I'm a big Will Barton fan, but I don't think I don't think the Nuggets match up well with the Sixers. There's really only a couple teams that give me pause when thinking about a matchup with the Sixers, and the Nuggets really aren't one of them, despite how good they are as a team. Yeah, so you have them going four and zero potentially on the four game road trip. I think they'll end up going three and one. I'm not sure exactly which one that they're going to lose. I think it's probably going to be either to Phoenix or Denver, because I. I feel you when it comes to the Phoenix Suns, one of those teams that people overlook 
and that they could overlook them and, and get surprised there. Uh, but I also think Denver is a team that could end up uh, winning because they're even though they're they don't have a whole lot of players aside from Jokic that are of note. I know you think of Jamal Murray. He had a breakout season last year and your guy Will Barton. But, um, you know, when it comes to these teams on the Western conferences uh, in the Western Conference, especially a team like Denver, they have a great atmosphere at their uh, at their arena there. So I think they'll go three and one, which heading back home. Uh, what's it called with a record of seven and one is nothing to be ashamed of for sure. But um, that will wrap up this episode of garbage into gold. We like to thank everybody for listening. Thank again to Philadelphia sports nation. Make sure that you're visiting them online at phlsportsnation.com. following them on Twitter at PHL sports nation. They are enhancing the fan experience in Philadelphia, covering the Sixers, Eagles, Flyers, and Phillies. You can follow me, Brandon after on Twitter at B after 23. That's B a P T E R two, three. And you can find Jesse at Jesse Larch. You can find this show all over the podcast platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, anchor.fm. And you can follow the show on Twitter at garbage into gold. We do appreciate everybody for tuning in and we have some exciting new episodes coming up previewing some of these upcoming games on this road trip with reporters and writers for these teams for the suns for the jazz and for the nuggets so we're excited to bring you some more great content thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on another episode of garbage into gold